Virginia. William Hill, America's number one sports book, is now here. And we have a special 2021 offer to help you bet on all your favorite sports risk-free. Download the William Hill Sportsbook app, and when you sign up, you can get started with a risk-free bet of up to $2,021. Use promo code RADIORF. Terms and conditions apply. 21 plus only. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat our confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. Let's make it interesting with William Hill Sportsbook. Episode Q12, Dennis Bernstein. Uh, by the way, today's show is coming to you live from the Peter Ahola Studios here in beautiful Southern California, DB. Oh, yeah. uh, unfo- That's great. <laughs> we, uh, we have been recording the shows up until now during quarantine. We've done this the opposite way, DB. We've During quarantine, we've managed to get together and record in the studio, but today we right. actually are officially doing a quarantine episode where you are in one studio and I am in the other studio, but uh, through the magic of uh, the interweb, we are together. Yeah, I'm in the, the uh, TFP man cave in Encino, okay. and you are... Um, you're in an undisclosed location in a bunker. Um, <laughs> I'm in the, P- the Peter Ahola studio coming to you live. That's great. That, what a spot. Wow. You're great at getting sponsors, bro. That, that, that's a great, great um, sponsor you just got. So look, DB, I'm super excited for today's show. Uh, we've had a lot of guests that have come on here through the quarantine uh, time period, uh, players and coaches and trainers and all sorts of good stuff. Rob Blake was on. Uh, today we're bringing on the man that really honestly is synonymous with the LA Kings in Bob yeah. Miller. And you and I have had the pleasure of sharing so many meals and conversations and sort of things uh, before and after games and stuff with Bob. And I, and I think it'll just be a real treat for the listeners to bring him on and, and be able to talk some hockey. People have been asking. People want to know, how's Bob doing? How's Judy doing? So we'll find out. Yeah, and I talked to Bob early in the week. From our conversation, it wasn't that long, but he's eager to talk hockey. We, we, we started <laughs> talking about playoffs. So, yeah, so he's, he's eager to get on, on a mic and, and talk with us about that. So, yeah, she's looking forward to it, and I agree with you. It's synonymous with the, um, you know, with the organization. So that should be a lot of fun. 
All right, so uh, some some L.A. Kings news to kick things off here today, DB, and we're also going to get your thoughts on the playoffs up until now. But um, a couple of newsworthy items since the last time we spoke. The Kings did, in fact, go ahead and hire a coach, which we expected um, there in Ontario. Uh, and under him, Chris Height will be back as an assistant. Yaroslav Modri will not be back, so they are going to begin searching for a defensive coach or a secondary coach, an assistant coach, um, to support Robo there in Ontario. Uh, we'll have to see how things develop. Obviously, a lot of prospects are coming into Ontario this year, and um, he's a—he's not a first-year coach, but he would be at the professional level. He's had a little bit of experience, but certainly not a head coach in the American Hockey League. So this is uh, this is going to be a, a, a certainly a task for uh, a gentleman who's 39 years old. John, expand on that. Like your feelings about—is this the right guy at the right time? I, I, th- I really think the jury is still out, DB. I think, look, um, my biggest question for him, and we won't know the answer to this for quite some time, is is he a great coach? Is he a great development guy? Or is he a great recruiter? Because when you're the coach at the U.S. national program, let's be honest, you get the pick of the litter when it comes to American-born players. So... Um, you know, he's had the best of the best. He's been able to go to tournaments and he's been able to almost cherry pick the players that he wants to have in every position, right? Goaltender, defenseman, forward. The best of the best American players have traditionally gone through that program of late. And uh, we, I mean, just look at the success that the program has had going back to the Jack Hughes draft and Turcotte and so many other guys. So is he a great recruiter? Is he great at communicating with these guys and getting them to come into the program or the success that they had? Was it because he's a great coach? Just because you're talented uh, as a player, just because you assemble an all-star group of talented players doesn't mean you're going to have success. And we need to look no further than as an example, Dean Lombardi's team that he put together for the, uh, the most recent world cup there in Toronto, a lot of talent on that team and they did not have a lot of success so building an all-star roster doesn't guarantee success the kings certainly have what i think you could consider uh an, an all-star roster at the ahl level with all the prospects that will be there turcott uh you also have jordan spence uh potentially coming in you have uh actually no he'll be going back to the queue who am i thinking of you have akil thomas you uh, um you have uh, at the goaltending position you know you have jacob ingham i mean they're just loaded you have Dursey, you have bjornfoot you have clegg you have so many guys there in ontario um so the the, the roster imagine. Uh, you're Madden, yeah. There, you, I mean, so the talent will be there from a player perspective, and um, I think you know. To be fair, uh, the jury is out on, on, and we'll know. We'll know in six months. We'll know in eighteen months what type of coach he is and how successful he's going to be right. able to be. Um, however, uh, you know, we we have to come in with kind of some optimism just because we we'd like to believe that the Kings organization has done their due diligence on him as a person and him as a player, and um, I, I'm sure that Turcotte speaks highly of him. So we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, I'm thinking if you didn't get a thumbs up from Torcano, he'd be the coach, right? <laughs> For sure. Um, a couple of other uh, little Kings tidbits before we get to the, the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs and talk about the matchups here in the second round. Um, Johan Sadegran was announced uh, today. We're recording on Saturday. He's going to be playing in Sweden's secondary league, kind of their version of the AHL. Same thing for Sammy Fagamo. I tweeted that out. You can look for that to happen here in the coming days, an announcement there. And Bjornfoot, he will actually be able to play with, uh, with the big club there in the SHL. And basically, we talked about this a few shows ago, but for anybody who missed it, you have to have a contract in order to be able to play at the SHL level. And if you don't have a contract, 
contract if your if your contract there expired and then your only active contract right now is in North America, which is the case for a couple of these guys like Fagamo and like Sodogran, even Kapari, who's really not eligible because he's still recovering from an injury. But these guys can't go back and play in the top league over there um, just because of their contract status. And so they have to play in the secondary league, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing that these guys are going to get back on the ice. They're going to be competitive. And I've said Great. during this quarantine period, DB, one of the things that really almost concerns me is what is this going to do for the, the development of all of the Kings top prospects? And that's one of the reasons they're, they're very interested and they're still waiting from what I have heard here over the last 24 hours. They're still waiting for the league to, to sort of give some guidelines uh, about when they can do some of these mini camps that they want to do to get their, their prospects going again. And I mean, again, back to Robo too, the coach in Ontario, I'm sure he's eager to get on the ice with, with all of the, uh, the Ontario rain players and start that process. So we're probably still another, uh, maybe six weeks away from anything breaking loose, I, I would say, but uh, the sooner the better. Yeah, but that, that would put us at, what, six months since they've been really skating competitively. That's that's a long time. They usually don't go that gap of the now. Granted, we're in a pandemic, but yeah, the sooner the better for the development of the team. Yeah, because, I mean, guys will even tell you, DB, that when you're when you're off uh, during the offseason, I mean, if your team doesn't make the playoffs mid-April, you know, call it till September with, with training camp, you still are on the ice and maybe even in some com- right. competitive sort of training sessions, but many of the players haven't even had access to facilities at different locations around the world. Matt Luff talked about that when he was on recently with us, just saying, hey, I'm just now sort of getting back on the ice. I think Akil Thomas mentioned that as well when he was on, so getting ice time and, and training. I mean, there's only so much you can do on uh, on rollerblades, <laughs> which is what Turcotte was doing <laughs> in his driveway shooting pucks, right? So, uh, Yeah, exactly. All right, so one other little bit of King's news here, uh, a little bit of breaking news. I'll, I'll Maybe I'll tweet this out later, DB, but uh, from what I understand, they are finalizing Austin Wagner's contract. There are a number of RFAs on the LA Kings. Look for a deal to get done with Austin Wagner. A two-year deal on the RFAs seems to have been the, the sort of sweet spot that Rob Blake has been operating in over the last, you know, Two, two summers. Um, from what I'm hearing, they're trying to get a third year on this deal. So we'll have to see if they uh, ultimately settle on a two-year deal and just get it done, or if they can get a three-year deal going for Austin Wagner. Uh, of course, uh, a depth player, bottom six forward here for the LA Kings. Any thoughts on that? That'll, yeah, that'll make him more attractive when he gets drafted by Seattle. <laughs> you always have those hot takes, DB. You're ready, you're ready with the hot takes. I guess, I guess that's something to consider as well. Uh, are, they getting an, are they able to get a young player on, a, on an affordable contract? And there, there will be plenty of those that will be available. Uh, all right, let's get into the playoffs here uh, for, for round two of the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs, DB. We'll start in the West. Vegas, Golden Knights, Vancouver. Uh, the series is tied 1-1. Game three is coming up tonight at the time of this recording. What have you seen so far? What have you liked in this series or not liked even? Well, people that buried Vancouver after game one, not so fast, right? I mean, I think the one advantage, they have two advantages, Vancouver. Vegas is the better team top to bottom. Pound for pound, the roster is better, without question. But when you look at the, the one-two center positions, Horvat and Pedersen are better than Carlson and uh, Stasny, who Stasny really is on a really good team. A team he's probably a 3C. So I think mm-hmm. they have an advantage there. They definitely have an advantage in that. Jacob Moore, and they're going to have to have an advantage in that for them to have any shot in this series. Um, Jacob Markson is the better goaltender. He's been fantastic for them. Um, I, I think you might have picked. Did you pick Vancouver? I did pick, pick Vancouver. Vancouver. I picked Vancouver yeah, so in seven I. games, yeah. and I was shocked when I saw that you picked them also. I said, "Well, there's yeah. again, we don't have nothing to argue about here." <laughs> you don't know. No, I, I, I picked them in six, and, and look, they're a pretty substantial underdog because Vegas is the money choice to win the cup right now. 
But I, I just—they're plucky. Um, they're experienced. They're playing with house money, and you know, John, nobody gives um, Travis Green enough credit. Mm-hmm. He's done a fantastic. You, they talk about Cassidy and Torts, and but they—they they don't talk maybe because it's a West Coast bias or whatever. But Travis Dean's done a tremendous job. So I like him in six. We'll find out. Look, if Vegas gets back to the script they had in, in game one, where they were pounding people and they were hitting on, they were rolling four lines, then, yeah, they're going to win the game. But I, I give Vancouver a puncher's chance here. I, I'm not counting them out uh, because they're fast, they're quick, and they have a lot more confidence than they did even you know coming into the first uh, the qualifying round against Minnesota. Well, I think another aspect of this series, DB, is we talk a lot about adjustments that have to be made in the National Hockey League, whether that's game-to-game right. adjustments or even in between periods. I really think that Vancouver has adjusted their game. They're playing uh, almost a, a grittier game in this series, and maybe they're going to have to up play, going up against Vegas, but I just I haven't seen that run-and-gun type offense that you expect with the younger players. I think we're seeing some grit in this team as well, which is, which is a little bit more exciting. Yeah, the Talamats and the Gordettes of the world, even Roussel with that clown act in the first game that didn't really work. But, <laughs> but and they start, you know, John, in game two, they started quickly. Our boy Toffoli, the first 90 seconds, got a goal, and he had a goal and two assists. Helps his contract drive. And then in the third period, I think um, Horvath scored in the first 15 Oh, seconds. wait, hold on. Tyler Toffoli's in a contract year? Finally. Has anybody told him? I, I think it got through to him finally after they put that boot on his foot. Oh. They forgot, oh, by the way. It's time. You know what's hard to do in a boot, DB? What's that? Pilates. Pilates. <laughs> <laughs> the gift that if, keeps on giving, my friend. Joke, yeah, if you don't know that joke, check John's uh, Twitter Twitter timeline. Search Pilates and Napoleon. <laughs> there you go. Learn how to use the search function, people. It's not that hard. Yeah, you search Mayor NHL Pilates. There you go. You'll figure it out. Anyway, DB, back to the playoffs. Um uh, you have Dallas Stars going up against the Colorado Avalanche. My thoughts real quickly on this series were, um, I wanted to know, will the real Dallas Stars stand up? That was my comment on TSN uh, coming into this series. Will the real Dallas Stars stand up? Because this team looked dismal over the final 10 games of the season. And even when the when the uh, hockey return to play began, the Dallas Stars weren't weren't there. And then all of a sudden they woke up and then I was just... I wanted to believe that they were going to uh, they were they woke up enough to compete with the Colorado Avalanche, and then certainly they had a two game lead, and so I was like, "Wow, Dallas is awake." And then what we saw from Colorado in Game Three, I think now we're seeing some momentum potentially going back the other way. Is this a seven game series? Mm, well, here, here's the thing with Dallas, right? We waited 18 months for their offense to awake, right? <laughs> what was the wrap on this team? No depth, they can't score. One line team, finally, finally against. And they had a lot of help from Calgary, by the way. But they, they woke up last series. They continue to just, here's the one concern. I, I picked Colorado in the series. I think it's a long series. I, I'm worried about the goaltender. Like, he, even in that win, he was not stopping shots he should have. If they put a lot of, if Dallas puts a lot of shots on him, I think they win the series. That's the one concern I have. Plus, they're missing Eric Johnson. He's going to be out indefinitely. The injury factor is really hurting Colorado. At full strength. They're clearly the better team than Dallas. But, again, Frank who's in the net is really – if I'm an Avs fan right now, I'm nervous about that goal. And that was my comment coming into the series as well. If there was one weakness of Colorado that I really thought could be exposed in this series, it was the goaltending. Yeah. And it's the same reason, again, back to Twitter, you can search it up. <laughs> one of the same reasons why I thought that Colorado needed to shore up their goaltending. Of course, Avs fans wanted to laugh at me uh, climbing into the trade deadline, but I still I, – I believe that then and I still believe it now. Let's touch on the East real quick before we get to Bob Miller, sure. DB. Uh, Tampa Bay yeah. Lightning and Boston. 
Boston, Tampa Bay up 3-1 on Boston um, after the Bruins came out and won game one. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay's added some grit. Guys like Pat Maroon, uh, you know, yep. talk about a, a team that came under heavy fire at the end of last year in the playoffs. Have they done enough? Have you seen enough? Do you like what they're doing? Or uh, is there is a potential series win over Boston um, probably going to be the high water mark of the Tampa Bay Lightning in this year's playoffs? Yeah. Well, I jinxed them by picking them to say they would win the cup. So that's that's the one thing they have to overcome because it's been I think thirteen years in a row I haven't picked the cup winner. Outstanding. Um, no, John, this is a different team. You, you mentioned Maroon, but Barkley Goodrow, mm-hmm. right? Blake Coleman. This is a Johnny Gord who took a vicious hit from from Richie today. Hopefully he was okay. This is a different team. Their, their bottom six is more grittier, and they find and it, it clicked through on the Columbus um, in the Columbus series, and it's manifesting itself in this series as well. Look, the big guys are also scoring as well, but this is a, a more complete team, right? They're just not a pretty skating team. They put some good in there because that was the criticism of Brisbane added to that with that component at the trade deadline. Um, they can certainly win the cup at this point in time. And I think that they're going to be the favorites over either Philly or the Islanders um, in either series. So I just like what they're doing. And again, today, like this is a, they seized the moment today, right? The old Tampa Bay, they wouldn't have played good today. They would have lost this, this game and been 2-2, and it would have been a toss-up for the series. Now they have it in the control. I don't see Boston rallying from a 3-1 deficit here. Uh, Halak has not been good. The, the second goal today wasn't wasn't really good. I think that's a big – see, John, when you're not – when you have a one on one a you have no safety net, you know, there's a lot more pressure on Halak to perform, and they didn't perform again. They're down 3-1. I see Tampa going on, and I do see him getting to the cup final. Okay, well, we'll see if you can break your streak. And, of course, we wouldn't want to let Gabe Velarde down and not talk about the Flyers. So the Philadelphia Flyers and the the New York Islanders, that series is tied 1-1. Can't wait to wrap this podcast up and go watch Game 3. That's probably the series I'm the most interested in. Uh, What what do you think about what you've seen so far? Uh, Islanders with a big win in Game 1, and then we saw the Flyers come back and sort of settle things down in Game 2. This is the last minute of play in the Yeah, but, John, if if I'm a Flyers fan, I'm nervous the way they they won that game. They're up 3-0. Like, if you manage that game properly, it's 5-1. You mm-hmm. close them out, it's it, no problem. You can't let them get off the deck and tie the game and then win in overtime. Right? That, that's my concern. And, and again, the Flyers have to play Flyers hockey. They cannot play the Islanders game and beat them at the Islanders. They have to have 35 shots on goal. Everybody's got to go. Mary, if not for Kevin Hayes and, and, and Hart, they, they're done. They're over. So the other guys like G, like Konechny, like JVR – they have to get more from these guys. So I think they're still in trouble. But with all that saying, John, it's 1-1. Mm-hmm. And if a big performance from Giroux comes in or Hart you know, stifles them, they're leading in the series. Yeah, but so, the, the uh, fly, I, you, you nailed it, though, DB. The Flyers need G yeah. to be an OG. They need him to step up and they need they him to do. take care yeah, of business. And, and if that happens... If it happens, then everything starts to sort of fall into place for them because you can't rely on Kevin Hayes to be the guy driving the bus. At least I don't think so. Agreed. Agreed. All right, DB, that's a wrap on uh, first period. Let's bring in Bob Miller on the other side. We'll be back in just a few minutes, guys. Used to spend my nights out in ballroom Liquor was the only love I'd known But you rescued me from reaching for the bottom. Welcome back. Second period of Kings of the Podcast. And guys, we're really excited today. We're bringing in the voice of the LA Kings, a hockey hall of famer. He has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He is everything to LA hockey. Mr. Bob Miller. Robert, how are you doing today? Gentlemen, very nice to be with you. And uh, 
talk a little hockey. Well, we're very excited to have you, Bob. Um, just right off the hop, people have been asking on Twitter. People ask all the time, how is Bob doing? So I think more importantly, how is Judy doing? Because I don't think you've ever been home for this long of a stretch before. You normally have vacations and things you guys go and do, but you guys, you guys have been quarantined at home. How's Judy doing? Well, she's doing fine. She's putting up with it. You know, this is, we've been married 57 years, but I've only been home half of that time. So <laughs> she's... Uh, She's used to it, and uh, and we're having. Uh, we found out that both of us are really good at being lazy, sitting on the couch watching TV, <laughs> and not going out to eat and staying home. And uh, we're we're doing fine so far. I hope we're. I think we're both healthy and take walks in the evening when it cools off a little bit. And uh, so, yeah, I'm uh, I'm enjoying this retirement. I miss doing the play-by-play. I will admit that. And I miss being around uh, the other announcers and the camaraderie we had on the road and everything like that. But uh, but uh, we're, we're doing fine. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned uh, being around the rink and just being around the guys and, and your click, right? Because Dennis and I have talked about this before as well. Players talk about it, obviously, that, you know, you've heard Gretzky say, for example, that the thing he missed most was being in the locker room around the guys. Mm-hmm. And it's even though we all are not players, it's sort of the same thing. We have our routines as well, and we enjoy those pregame meals and, and, and postgame hangouts and things like that. Now, people don't really know this, Bob, but... One of the highlights, I think Dennis would agree, one of the highlights for us of going to Staples Center for many, many years and covering the Kings would be the post-game talks that we would get with you. So just to sort of set the stage so that people understand, after the game, uh, the media sort of gathers in the, in the Chick Hearn press room at different tables, and there's two rooms, and people that are on deadline, for people that still write for newspapers and whatnot, they can go in the other room and they can close the door, and then for the rest of us, we can sit around and we can talk and about the game or, or, or whatever, and... And Bob, you're, you're, you have your own table with Judy over there, and then you guys always have guests or usually have guests that are there at the games for you. But you always made it a point to stop over at our table and ask us some questions and entertain us with, um, I'll just say, a joke or two and leave it at that. Uh, those, are, those are the highlights, Bob. It really didn't matter what happened any particular night during the game. Those are the things probably that we miss the most is just being around our friends and being around the, the people that we enjoy seeing and sharing a few moments with. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, I enjoyed that myself. I, it was kind of uh, weird. Sometimes I was hesitant to go over because I wasn't sure, you know, if you were getting a story out or on deadline or anything, and I didn't want to interrupt. But if I saw an opening, I thought, well, I, I'm going to go over and say hello and sit down and talk, and maybe I did have a new story to tell you. So <laughs> um, I enjoyed those moments myself. All right. It was great because because we were too loud, and the people who were on deadline would come over and close the door because Bob would usually tell us a few jokes, and we'd be laughing and and pretty gregarious. So we would be you know kind of an impediment to people on deadlines. And I I, I always remember somebody you know a beat writer coming out making a bad face at us and closing the door because we were having too much fun, and I think that was the problem. We were just having too much fun. Well, we were with <laughs> we were with Bob Miller, so we we trump whatever they were working on. That, that's true. Exactly. <laughs> I will give you a little story, and maybe I told both of you this before, uh, about a cartoon I saw during this pandemic and people quarantined at home with young kids. And the little girl said to her mother, Mommy, am I adopted? The mother said, Not yet, dear. I just put the ad in the newspaper (laughs) yesterday. (laughs) 
<laughs> a lot of parents probably feel that way. School uh, homeschooling their kids right now on Zoom. That's right. Hey, so Bob, a couple times during this interview today, I'm going to reference an interview that you and I did together on Mayor's Manor back in 2010. Only because uh, in prepping for today's uh, interview or, or conversation with you, I went back and wanted to check some of my notes, and that was 10 years ago. And there's some some good stuff that came out of that from 10 years ago, but. Um, one of the things that we did in 2010 was that we did a, a playoff preview. So I know we're knee deep here in the second round of the playoffs, but was just wondering if you'd give us a couple of thoughts. Uh, you have Vegas versus Vancouver, Dallas versus Colorado, the Flyers playing the Islanders, the Bruins playing Tampa Bay. Since you and J uh, Judy are so lazy and just lay around the house now, have you happened to have uh, watched any games? And do you have any thoughts about any of those series, anything that you've liked or disliked? Well, yes, I've watched a lot of those games. Even, you know, when it started with the uh, teams that were playing just for positioning and uh, and then the others that were playing to, to continue in the uh, playoffs without getting eliminated. And uh, I enjoyed all of those games. I, I will say this from an announcer standpoint. I think the announcers who are not at the scene are really doing a good job of doing it remotely on uh, on video. Uh, on the computer and, and sounds like they're there. I would sometimes sit and say, now, are they really there or right. are they not there? The play-by-play -play guy might be there, but is the color man 2,000 miles away somewhere and somebody else? Uh, and, and they've done it so well that I had to listen for little hints that, oh, okay, I don't think he's in the arena. But so they've done a good job of bringing the excitement of hockey without any fans in the sand uh, to those of us at home. And I think the NHL has done a really good job presenting those games yeah. with no fans in the stands, with the, with the big banners and the lights they have and mm -hmm. just the way they've, they've set up those arenas. And, uh, and they've done a great job with uh, staying safe. Uh, sometimes with uh, two teams here who weren't in the playoffs, the Kings and the Ducks, you don't get a lot of mention of how well the NHL is doing in some of the local uh, media here. Mm -hmm. um, but but they have done a tremendous job with over, I think it's 28,000 tests. And I don't, unless we haven't heard, I don't think they've had one positive test no. that, that I've heard of. What, so, I, what I also just took from what you said, Bob, is that um, – you would have appreciated calling many games with Jim Fox being 2,000 miles away instead of being in the booth next to you. Is that, did I interpret that right? Uh, no, you didn't. Okay. No, I, I enjoyed having Jim there. But I'll tell you, Jim and I have talked about whether this might be the wave of the future with teams saying, you know, why, why are we sending announcers on the road when we found they can do it just as well from their office at home or from the home arena, uh, they'd be at the home games in person, mm -hmm. but road games, you can do it. Jim and I did, uh, did a game when the Kings played in Berlin several years ago, and we did it from downtown Los Angeles at the Fox Sports Studios. Hmm. And I was, I was a little apprehensive about that because I've never done a game that way off the computer, and I really thought, am I going to see enough of the game to properly describe what's going on, especially like a delayed penalty and you don't see the referee with right. his hand in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I thought, I don't know 
and I won't see the scoreboard whenever I want to. So I was really a little nervous about that, but it turned out really well. Hmm. In fact, it turned out so well that a great Hall of Famer and former King Larry Robinson saw us about a week and a half later, and he said to both of us, how was, how was Berlin? Did you enjoy it? <laughs> and I said, well, we weren't in Berlin. He said, where were you? I said, we were in downtown L.A. So we fooled him, and I thought, well, that's good enough for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but, Bob, the, the, the thing about, like, doing it by it, it, to not bring four kisses on the road, and you're the epitome of this. You're storytellers. And a lot of the stories that you tell or broadcaster tells during a game is because they're at the morning skates or they're on the plane with the players or they're mm-hmm. talking to them post-game. So I think that aspect of storytelling would go away because unless you know, unless you're texting with a, a player after the game, you lose that aspect of storytelling. And I think that's vital. So that's why I think that, like, I don't want, and I get it, I understand it with respect to COVID, but once things are back to normal, we could travel the way we can. Like, to put... The broadcasters on the charter with the team. Uh, there's there's no reason not to still. You don't want to have this this craft of storytelling like to to evaporate from the game. Well, I think that's true in a way, and yet from the from the finance standpoint, when a team is looking at we're, we're paying this per diem and hotel rooms for guys on a ten day or fourteen day road trip. Uh, I don't think you have the fourteen days anymore. We used to when I started. But uh, hotels, and that's a lot of expense to the to the team. And I think some of them are going to want to make up the expense uh, from the what they're losing here during this pandemic and having no fans in the stands. And so it remains to be seen, but uh, I think it could be done. I agree with you, although the game of hockey sometimes doesn't lend itself to a lot of storytelling while the game's going on. Uh, I would try to get some stories in and try to time it. This was a good time to do it. And every time I'd start, there'd be a breakaway and, and you'd have to interrupt to do the play by play. And then I'd forget to go back to the story. So uh, <laughs> it was a little difficult that way. Hey, Bob, back to that 2010 interview. One of the things we talked about back then was um, I, I had asked you if you were like fans or like most people that when the NHL schedule comes out, if you circled certain games on the calendar that you looked forward to. I mean, obviously, an 82-game season is a long season, and there's only so many times that you can get up for Kings Ducks or Kings Sharks or whatever. And you immediately pointed to Ovechkin and Crosby at the time as being the two players that you really enjoyed seeing. Um, is it still the same two players or maybe some of the, the younger players, the next generation? Who really gets you excited right now to watch in the NHL? Well, I think some of the those two players, of course, uh, are still fun to watch. And I think other teams are fun to watch. I've always enjoyed watching the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, when we've done games with them, they were among the fastest, if not the fastest team in the league. The way they moved the puck around, and I enjoyed them in the playoffs when they were in there and uh, they could really move the puck and I enjoyed that I always enjoyed uh, going to Boston and uh, doing games there I always enjoyed doing games with some of the big name players that I grew up watching before I got into doing NHL games and uh, and seeing them again and and then broadcast games with with them playing mm-hmm. guys like Esposito and Bobby Orr and uh, you know, Dennis Savard and 
players like that. Gordie Howe had a chance to do play-by-play when Gordie Howe was still playing. And uh, uh, I remember one time, maybe you guys do too, at the Forum, the Kings were playing Hartford, and Gordie Howe was playing for the Hartford Whalers. And J.P. Kelly of the Kings body-checked him, and Gordie went headfirst into the penalty box. Wow. And there was a gasp in the crowd. And players were saying to Bob Pulver, who was a coach, Pulley, you better get J.P. off the ice right now <laughs> because Gordy was known to get some revenge at times. And what had happened in the play, Gordy thought there was glass in front of the penalty box, and he, leaned, he was just going to lean over and bounce off the glass, but there was no glass. So he leaned over and he went head over heels into the penalty box. Wow. And uh, um, so they, uh, J.P. Kelly said, my reaction was, oh, my gosh, I've just checked a 52-year-old grandfather into the penalty box. <laughs> so there were some funny times that you could come up with stories during the game, uh, which you could still do doing it at home. But Dennis, I agree. Sometimes you're in an arena where just looking at the ice, you remember where certain great <laughs> moments happened. And you can pick that up and say, I remember down in that corner, this happened five years ago, and and I think you would miss some of that. I would miss at the forum, I think it was around 1990 or 1991, when all the sticks come flying off, or came flying off the bench. Uh, was that against Calgary when Tom Webster went bananas and threw all the, the, the sticks onto the bench or off, onto the ice? Yeah, I believe it. I thought he had a javelin in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> he threw it at Kurt Carey Fraser. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I, I think it was Cal- – I can't remember exactly whether it was Calgary or what. But uh, but anyway, I remember that incident. Yeah, yeah. It was fantastic. And now for the big faceoff, Sears gets the puck and scores with values like this. Save $15 on Sears Kenmore 30-gallon and 40-gallon gas water heaters. They feature polyurethane foam insulation and low BTU pilot that uses almost one-third less gas than conventional models. You save $15 on both 30-gallon and 40-gallon sizes. Sale ends February 21st. So what are you waiting for? Remember, you can count on Sears. What was the um, what was the worst arena to broadcast in? Well, for me, it was always Madison Square Garden. We had an awful location to do the games. And uh, the far side of the ice, we were so uh, at a, such a shallow angle instead of mm-hmm. a nice steep angle where you look down on the ice, and we were far back and and uh, really shallow. And if you didn't see the winger on the far side come on the ice, at least I couldn't. I, I could hardly see some of the players, you know, especially really? on a line change. I did more play-by-play in that arena off the TV. I think than I ever did off our monitor because uh, it just was not a good location. Now so you were prepping re- for Berlin. <laughs> right. I didn't know it at the time, <laughs> yeah, but right. I was. <laughs> and they've renovated that, as you know, and they put uh, what they call bridges on either side, the length mm-hmm. of the ice. So now you're up high and looking down and it's a really good location. And the first game that I did in that new arrangement, at one point I said on the air, 
you know, folks, I've done games here for, uh, I don't know what it was at that time. I've done games here for 40 years. And this is the first game that I've ever seen. And I, <laughs> you know, and I could hear him laughing in the control room. and everything else. So, you know, a lot of guys have favorite arenas. Some have some that give them trouble. And sure. that was that was the worst for me, Madison Square Garden. And Bob, back to that interview in, in 2010. Again, I told you I was going to reference it a couple of times. Um, in that interview, we talked about retirement. So this was 2010 and just about the fact, uh, you know, what, what were you thinking? And the reason that it was it was sort of topical at the time is that there were so many big-name players. It might have been the single biggest year uh, in terms of number of big names that were leaving the game on the ice, that is. I mean, you had guys like Kachuk and Madonna and Niedermeyer. Rob Blake was talking about it. Lidstrom, Chelios, Doug Waite, Matthew Schneider. So many guys at that point were talking about retirement. And And when you and I had talked about it, this is what you said at the time. You said, I'm kind of taking it year by year, but it's getting close. I'm not going to try and go as long as Vin until I'm like 80 years old or something. I still enjoy it, but like I say, it's becoming more and more difficult to keep up with everything, even with the availability of sources that we have now, um, like the internet and all sorts of uh, other things. You said, uh, I, I would say that it's close, but it might be a few years off because I don't want to, uh, because I don't want to do this anymore um, before I say that. Uh, you said on certain mm-hmm. nights... You said on certain nights it's more exciting than other nights, um, but uh, you also said you don't think that you're ready to be done, and your biggest fear was that the King, you would retire and then that the Kings would win the Stanley Cup the next year. So yeah, fast forward two years from that, the Kings did win the Stanley Cup in 2012. You get another one in 2014. I mean, to a, on a certain to a certain extent, it probably ended as best as it probably could have, right? Yes, I think so. I think so. And I don't know if it hadn't been for the quadruple bypass surgery that I had. I don't know if I would have retired when I did. But at that point, with the heart surgery, I thought, you know, maybe it's time to just take it easy a little bit and and not be traveling around the country and doing so many games and, um, and getting excited during the games. As you pointed out, there were times during a game that was so exciting that I would really say to myself, where would I rather be than right here tonight? Because it, it was, there was, it was so exciting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I love that. And, and I miss that now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, the other thing that came into play was the expansion of the teams. When I started with the Kings, there were only 12 teams. Mm-hmm. Well, now there are 20 more than that, or there will be when, uh, when Seattle comes in and all of a sudden I went from knowing every player on every team, you know, how when we were kids and we followed baseball, Mm -hmm. you knew the lineup every day. Mm -hmm. It it hardly ever changed. And, uh, and that's the way it was when there were only 12 teams and it was easier then to memorize names and numbers. And then as the expansion teams came in and, then the salary cap, which I didn't know there would be uh, a, a, an effect the salary cap would have in addition to making the competition level, was the, the bringing up of players from the minor leagues maybe for a day and maybe wouldn't even get into the game, but you got to do the background on them, and he's gone the next day simply because they're adjusting the salary cap every time a player is called up or sent down, and all of a sudden there were 
you know, teams using 40 players a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the Kings one year, I looked in the media guide, I think it's 74, 75. We only use, I think, 22 players the whole season. Fantastic. And, and, And it seems to me that there were not as many injuries that kept players out back in those days. Mm-hmm. You know, if a player was injured, you say, what? Well, he's not going to play. Why? Well, he got injured. And, and now it was almost like every game, you have to scratch three guys or two guys, and bring two guys up from the minors. And so the game changed from that standpoint. And, uh, and But most of it was the health reasons that I thought, that you know, this is crazy to, to uh, travel and, and do games like this. Uh, if your health is in danger. And I'm happy to say I had a very successful surgery and I feel fine and went to the cardiologist the other day. He said, uh, I'll see you in six months. You're doing well. Exactly. So, so that, that is good, you know, and, and, uh, it's kind of nice to just kind of relax and watch the games on, on TV and in person. And Judy and I do go to about 12 to 18 games a year. And, and, uh, and I enjoy seeing him in person, but, uh, but that was, I think, the determining factor of going from 2014 plus after 2012. Like all of us, I got greedy and thought, "Well, <laughs> gee, this was fun. I'd like to see us win another one." <laughs> well, even now I'm greedy. I want to see. I want to see another Stanley Cup. So uh, those are some of the factors. There's another one coming, Bob. Don't worry about it. Uh, this team is stacked with prospects. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. I do want to just share two quick uh, personal stories with you, though. Um, I think I've told you at least one of these off air, but I will share it on air as well. Um, one of my true highlights in covering the team um, actually came before Game 4 in 2012. Again, back to the, the what happened sort of pregame and postgame for those that don't know. So when it comes to the meals, normally... Um, the Kings have a, a reserve table in the press area downstairs. And again, everybody has sort of not assigned seats, but everybody sort of sits with the same group of people most nights. Um, the visiting broadcasters all sort of sit together. The Kings people sit together and Dennis and I are, are over there and you know everybody has their own table. But when the NHL comes to town for the Stanley Cup final, the NHL, the league takes over. And so it actually moves out of the checker and press room downstairs and the meal is served in this kind of... Um, temporary banquet area uh, underneath one of the Zamboni tunnels. And it's a much bigger area because there's a lot more media that's there. And so it, it, it's more difficult, I think, at times to find your, your normal table mates, right? So you just, you grab your food from the buffet line and you kind of, you look for a recognizable face and, and you sit down. And Bob, uh, you came over. Now you have to understand, I grew up as a Kings fan long before covering the team. And so I, I've been hearing you really my whole life. I mean, it's been Bob Miller and Vin Scully. It's like, I, I'm like your adopted son. Uh, and I'm sitting there, I'm eating dinner and you walked up with a plate of food and said, Hey, can I sit here? Is anybody sitting here? No, of course, Bob, you can sit here. And you sat with me and we had dinner together before game four. Now, remember the Kings could have won the Stanley cup that night. Um, so just the, the, the moment of that was probably lost on you of how insignificant that was. You were probably just looking for an open seat, but it really personally meant a lot to me to have dinner with you that one particular night um, just because of the gravity or the, 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 how huge the moment was in Los Angeles. It was, uh, it was a great dinner, so thank you for that. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for bringing it up. Uh, you know, even in not on playoff night, but any night in the regular season in the media room, I always – you know, I might sit at the 
at the table with with Jimmy and Nick Nixon and people like that. But I like to move around too, and I could never understand. In some cities we'd go into, you'd you'd never see the visiting broadcasters in the media room, nor would they mingle necessarily with with us. Mm-hmm. And and I always thought if if I was the the PR director, I would say, guys, mingle around and visit with some of these other writers and broadcasters and, and, and talk about things. And, and so I always enjoy doing that. Um, you know, I may, I may do that after I finished a meal at whichever table I was sitting, but, uh, but I like to get up and just go around and visit with the minor officials and some of the other people on the crew that are working on the telecast and some of the writers. And, and, uh, that to me was just, uh, a way to do it uh, all the time, and and I enjoyed that, well, and uh, and still doing that for the Kings as an ambassador mm-hmm. of Kings functions to show up and talk with the fans, and uh, and I've always enjoyed doing that, talking with the fans before the game, after the game, and uh, you know not just talking with them, but asking them what do you do and and how many games do you come to and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and I get people who will come up to me and say, you know, I was eight years old and wrote you a letter and you wrote back to me <laughs> and I've got that letter still at my house. And that meant a lot to me because, you know, rather than ignore mm-hmm. those fans that we count on so much, I always wanted to come out and talk to them and, and make them feel like people appreciate them being at the game. Well, Bob, the second the second half of that story is this is when I knew that I, I had made it. It's because of you, uh, and you. This is the part of the story that I probably haven't shared with you before. Um, we're used to seeing each other either upstairs or downstairs at Staples, but very rarely do we see each other uh, sitting in the seats watching a game. So um, I have a son; he's fourteen now, and over the last ten years, he's been you know, privileged enough to, to be around the team and to meet a lot of players. And so he's, he's met Jeff Carter and Tyler Toffoli and Adrian Kempe and all these guys. And he's been in the locker room in Ontario and all this stuff. So the players uh, are, are not a big deal to him per se, right? Because he's just, it's normal to him. Um, however, mm-hmm. one, one night we were on the, the premier level uh, attending a game. I, was, I brought him to a game that night and we were walking in, in between periods and you were walking with Judy and I was walking with my son. And as you saw me and made eye contact me with you, Mayor, how you doing? As you're known to do. And uh, then I introduced you to my son as we walked away. My son was absolutely floored and could not believe that Bob Miller knew who I was. So that's when I knew I had made it was when <laughs> was when uh, when that moment happened. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad I got the name right. <laughs> <laughs> if you would have called me Dennis Bernstein, it would have been weird. Yeah, it would have been tough. <laughs> um, you know, Joe, I did an, a... Um, piece on Bob and Jim for uh, Fort Beard Magazine. It was called My Dinner with Bob and Jim. And, and the one line that I used, and I probably used it in the com as well, um, with respect to the media room, is I, I said that if you were led into media room blindfolded and you went to the table with the loudest laughter, that's where Bob Miller would be sitting. That's <laughs> true. Every well, night. I mean, just, just your storytelling ability is just on part. But Bob, one question I have for you is um, you wear your Stanley Cup ring proud, and when you're around, we always see it. Do you switch rings? Do you wear the 2012 ring sometimes and 2014 other, or do you keep, is one more special than the other to you? 
Well, I think the 2012 is probably a little more special because it's the first Stanley Cup. Um, but I, I do switch off, and I, I wear the 2014 one uh, maybe a little bit more because it's the most recent one. And, and my feeling sometimes is maybe we've got fans now that don't really remember the weren't there for the 2012 one or something. And uh, so I'll wear the 2014. But uh, I switch them off usually. The, the 2012 uh, is really a heavy ring. It's, uh, it's, uh, I, I enjoy wearing it, but uh, when somebody shakes your hand, if they squeeze too hard, I'm almost going down to my knees in pain. <laughs> like, <laughs> but the 2012 or 2014 is a little easier to wear, but uh, they're both rings that uh, I treasure, and uh, and I'm so happy that the Kings told uh, uh, Tiffany, who did the rings, make them wearable. Don't mm-hmm. make them so huge and mm-hmm. gaudy uh, like the NFL rings where you can't, you can't even wear them, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, they're too big and bulky. And so these are, these are really nice. And, uh, and, uh, I'd like to, I've got more fingers, so I'd like to see several more <laughs> championships. You, know? you are greedy, Bob. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a couple of quick ones, Bob. We really appreciate your time. Um, real quick, they quickly, um, I remember being on the ice after the 2012 cup and you, you were so excited to tell us what you said because fans could not hear it, um, at that moment, but that you had, uh, you, you wrote something down. I think if I remember the story correctly, you wrote something down coming into game four, or around game four, and then you ended up obviously saying it um, a couple of games later. But my question is this, where is that paper when, where you wrote down what you were going to say? Do you still have it? Well, I have it. And another situation is that my son said, look at this. He got a copy of that, of what I said. And it was done on a really kind of thick, paper by someone in North Carolina and they and I've I got a copy of it and I have it framed out in my family room and it, it was really nice to have that just as a reminder you know of that night that we won the first family cup mm-hmm. and uh, so it was uh, it was really nice of the guy in North Carolina sent me sent me one of those and uh, it's not on parchment. It's on, on really thick paper. Hmm. And uh, at the bottom, after what I said, it says L.A. Kings 6, New Jersey Devils 1, 2012 Stanley Cup Finals, Game 6, June 11, 2012, Staples Center, Los Angeles, California, play-by-play, Bob Miller. Fantastic. And, uh, so I, I really enjoy that and uh, um, appreciated having a chance to, they get that, and if I ever forget what I said, I can just look at the wall and read it again. <laughs> well, that recording is widely available, Bob, so I think you can also listen to it. You don't have to read it. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. All the frustration and disappointment of the past is gone. The 45-year drought is over. The Los Angeles Kings are indeed the kings of the National Hockey League. They are the 2012 Stanley Cup champions. The countdown is on. Three, two, one. It's over. Um, 
Here's what we're hoping to end with. So I want to do a Bob Miller special here. I'm going to combine two wonderful things that we do. So word association has been something that's long associated with Mayor's Manor. And numerology has been something that we've been doing over the last year here on Kings of the Podcast, where we go through the history of players uh, that have worn a particular number. So, for example, uh, when we had... uh, um, Let's see who when we had Martin. We had Martin Furk on recently, and we talked about all the players that have worn twenty nine, for example. So I have a handful of numbers here, and what I was going to do is I'll say a number, Bob, and then you just tell us the first Kings player that you think of when you see that number. You want to give it a shot? Yeah, sure. It's kind of like a uh, kind of like uh, Alzheimer's <laughs> for me. So, so you really putting me on the spot here. Holy cow. Uh, number five, who do you think of? L.A. Kings jersey and number five. Hockey Berg. Okay. okay. <laughs> number seven. Mike Murphy. Number nine. Bernie Nichols. Ten. Number ten, ten, ten. Hmm. Did Matthew Schneider wear ten at one time? I think he did. I think he wore ten and fifteen. I think you're onto something there. Uh, how about twelve? Number 12. Joseph Stumpel. Okay. 12? Did he wear 12? We I wore 15 or 16. I don't recall 15. him in 12, oh. but that's okay. Uh, okay. Well. I, it shows you how memorable number 12 has been in Los Angeles. <laughs> we, had, we had a long discussion about that when we had Roman Vopot on, that 12 has just not been a good number for L.A. Um, how about number 15? 15. Uh, let's see. Stumple wore 15, I know that. He, he did. Pat Conacher, Pat Conacher wore it. He did in 93, that's true. Um, number yeah. 17. Mm, 17. Well, the guy that I really enjoyed watching him play, even though it was short for one year, was Milan Lucic. There you go. That. All right. Uh, vote for Lubo. Lubo wore his, Lubo <laughs> Vote for Lubo. Vote for Lubo. There you go. Do you, still have, Carson. do you still have your vote for Lubo t-shirt? No, I don't. Okay. No, I don't have that anymore. <laughs> Judy probably I got rid of it at a garage sale. I... Yes, you washed your car. There you go. Uh, how about we have three more numbers here? How about twenty-two? Number twenty-two with the Kings. Well, one of my favorites, and I think one of the great team guys of all time, Ian Laperriere. Amen. Absolutely Amen. agree with you. Agree. Yep. Uh, Twenty-five. Twenty-five with the Kings. Um, well, let's see. Boy, there were some great ones. Uh, Peter Praisler. We we had a we had. A, <laughs> I'm kidding. We had a, 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 a question. We were in Pittsburgh one night, and we were playing. We went over across the river uh, for, for to a place uh, after the game or before the game even, and we were having a few drinks before dinner, and someone said to Randy Hahn, who was with us on the crew at that time, he's now with the Sharks, what's the crazy, they asked uh, Cap Raider, what's the strangest thing you've ever seen thrown on the ice? And Randy Hahn said, Peter Praisler. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll take that, uh, that uh, answer back, and I will pick, a player like uh, Kevin Stevens, he was he was good. Daryl Sador wore that number. He did so, and Mark Hardy at times 
among his different numbers, wore 25. Yes, I think Mark Hardy was trying to set the uh, L.A. Kings record for the most numbers worn. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> the last number in this uh, group here, Bob, is 29. 29. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we had... We had uh, some goalies who wore 29 that were pretty good and have turned out to be good in other management areas. Jimmy Rutherford, for one. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Glenn Healy wore it, Gary Laskowski, uh, Mike Blake, who played the goal. And uh, the other, I would say, the most recognizable one, probably... Uh, this is a tough number. Um, there are some that probably were forgettable. Um, <laughs> and Bob, just so you Jay know, Miller. yes, Jay Miller, of course. Um, just so you know, you immediately picked up on something that Dennis picked up on during the last show. So our numerology segment, uh, like I was mentioning, when we go through all of the players that wore a particular number, I rattled off uh, 10 or 12 players that have worn 29 uh, prior to Martin Furk, and, and Dennis immediately picked up on the fact that the majority of those players in the early days were 29, and only how interesting that is because goalies now really don't seem to wear 29. Goalies are typically in the 30s, or you know they wear number one. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting right. that, you, that you honed in on that right away. Bob, it's been an outstanding 35 minutes we've had you uh, today. Uh, it's, it's, it's extra. We went into overtime with you, and we appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been tremendous having you on the program. It's great to hear that you and Judy are doing well, and uh, enjoying the, the NHL playoffs. And uh, we can't wait to see you back at Staples Center again and uh, telling us some jokes and keeping us entertained. Well, we are anxious to do that too. We're anxious to get out and see people in person and have uh, some exciting time in person again. The savior of the broken, the beaten and the damned. He said, will you defeat them, you demons? You can tell your dog to bite my leg. You can tell my heart, my achy, breaky heart. <laughs> Don't tell my heart, achy, breaky heart. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Welcome back. Third period. Thanks to Dave Joseph there for the little bumper uh, bringing us back. DB, any any thoughts there on Bob Miller? I mean, that was a that was a fantastic segment, a fun 35 minutes with Bob. Hey, he passed the Alzheimer's test. That was great. <laughs> what a great joke. He's a Hall of Famer in every way. And, you know, John, I, we talked about this before, prepping for the show. You know, Bob's a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's not a member of the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. And, and I nominated him last summer, and disappointingly, they didn't decide to enshrine him, which is ridiculous. So yes. hopefully they will wake up and enshrine him this year. I'm not sure when they'll actually do the the voting. Most of it's actually virtually anyway. Uh, But um, they need to correct that mistake over there in the Hockey Hall. So hopefully it happens this year. And it's just a random one of his, we talk about his friends being with him and one of his friends who was downstairs in the press room uh, came up to me and, and just mentioned that he had not been nominated or he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. And he had not even nominated. So I did my due diligence, found out how to do it, and I put it together. And I followed up with Dave Fisher, who runs the Hockey Hall of Fame out there. 
And uh, he said, there's no real true secret sauce to that. Just we need to keep putting um, Bob's name in people's mindset. Not that we need to, John, to be honest with you. Um, but we continue to need to do that. I'm sure you and I and, and the fans as well will uh, certainly support the nomination. Um, I think it's a five-year nomination, so you won't have to re-nominate him. Uh, but certainly he should be in the minds and hearts of all the voters um, this season as well. Yeah, for sure. When it gets when everything gets going again, we need to make sure that uh, – forget about vote yeah. for Lubo. We need vote for Bob, so we'll be sure to get that for going. Sure. Um, all yeah. right, DB, we have a ton of questions that came in on Twitter. I'm just going to rapid fire through some of them, get your takes on a few of these. Uh, first one here, we know that Kaliev and Velarde will most likely make the team next season, but do you think Turcotte starts in the NHL or the AHL? Well, first of all, the first half of that statement is wrong uh, because – Kaliev will most likely not make the team coming out of camp. Uh, Velarde will. Turcotte, I think, will start in the American League. Any any difference of opinion there, DB? No, no. The, you are, we, we've talked about this in the podcast before. Like it, It's the best for Turcotte, unless he has a huge camp. And even if he does, what's the what's the rush? Right. So, yes, I, I agree with you all. The status of all those three players, uh, exactly what you just said. All right. Who's the number one goalie in Ontario by midseason? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's going to be Jacob Ingham. Um, I will assume that you don't have a vote at this point until you take a ride uh, out to Ontario. Yeah, I actually have to attend games to vote for that. <laughs> okay. Until the point I do, I have to recuse myself from voting. Okay. You will have a, you will have a take on this one. Uh, here's a good one for you. Is I'll follow a candidate to be moved between now and the next trade deadline? If not, is it possible he walks due to contractual demands given his current role versus how he is seen by most when this team is contending for a cup in a few years? I would say... No, he is not a good con uh, contender to be a candidate, I should say, to be moved. I think that the Kings are well aware of uh, where they plan on playing him, and uh, they like having him as a member of the Los Angeles Kings. I don't see there being any problems from a contract standpoint. DB, anything different? Well, why would you move a guy who's progressed every season offensively, and if we had played full season, was going to be a 20-30 and 30 guy at, what, 2.5 or $2.4 million a year. It's a great deal for his production. Yeah, and look, he's... He's the un he's he's not a glamorous player, right? He was an undrafted free agent. They found him. Um, he's produced well. He, Kopitar loves playing with him. Is he truly a number one left wing? No, but until a point in time where the team gets one, um, he's going to play that position. So no, it's a great value contract, John. And and I can't worry at this point in time if I'm Rob Blake. I'm not worried about could he walk in free agency in two years. Mm -hmm. Got to work worry about in the minute. And if one of these youngsters develop into the the uh, the you know the, the successor to his position on left wing. Then what's wrong with having him as a second or third? Like, look, maybe on a championship team he's a third line left wing, but he should be part of the solution going forward. Yeah, and if this team is flying high in two years from now, why would he be interested in walking, knowing that he's possibly right. on on the on the doorstep of a deep playoff uh, run? There, uh, if all of, if enough of these prospects pan out. Next up on the uh, Twitter questions, DB. Um, would the Kings consider moving a few of their second round picks for a first in next year's draft? I know next year has a deeper group of higher regarded defensemen than this year. It would allow them to potentially package up two firsts next year to move up. I'll just say, yes, any of that's possible. Listen to one of the previous editions of Kings of the podcast. Next up. Now that there is a flat cap and teams need to move roster players along with the Coyotes, not having some top picks. Can the Kings take advantage and offer cap relief or get a good roster player? I would just say DB that in general, yes, this is an opportunity with the Kings. It's weirdly enough to say this, that they actually have some cap room. They could potentially yeah. take advantage that some of the other teams uh, will face here uh, um, over the next two, couple years with this flat cap. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure it's going to be Arizona because you're trading in division. And you know, like, and somebody had asked me about Oliver Ekman-Larsen. 
And look, on, on just on, talent-wise, to put OEL with Drew Doughty, yeah, you do that. But you've got a situation where OEL is 30 years old and he's got seven more years left on his deal. You can't do it. You can't hamstring it like that. Even an eight-known Dallas cap it, you just can't do it. So, And, and as you mentioned, John, are they actually ready at this point? Yeah to add that player. Mm-hmm. Um, they will be at some point in time, and they're going to have to, John. That's the one thing. At some point in time, and even Blake admitted to this, they're going to have to add some established talent to the sure. base. It just can't be the core right now and all the other prospects. It's not going to be four guys and 19 other prospects. So they're going to have to do that. And they have the, the as you mentioned, they have the capital to do that. And there's going to be, and maybe it's this season or maybe it's next, there's going to be some cap-strapped team that has a productive forward um, or a defenseman that the Kings will trade for. You see other teams doing it right now. They're just not there yet because the you know, fans should be excited. But again, what have you and what has Blake said in the past? The next season is one of assessment. Mm-hmm. You have to figure out where these guys fit in the boxes, the Dean Lombardi boxes, and then you make your moves accordingly from there. Yep, so they have, uh, wait one year, folks. Um, next up, right. which prospect would you take a bet on to come into camp and steal a spot for the um- upcoming season if you had to pick one? I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say it's Akeel Thomas uh, because I don't project Akeel Thomas to make the, the roster this year, but this is the type of player who's versatile, who can play center, who can play wing, who has experience playing both positions already, not a player who's historically a center that they're going to try to convert to a wing, but somebody who actually has some experience. Um, I think he's made tremendous strides off the ice over the last two seasons. And if you're looking for a surprise, because we've laid the roster out there. So Bjornfoot making right. the opening night roster is not a surprise. Not Clegg surprised. making the opening night roster is not a surprise. Even Kaliev getting five games and a cup of coffee is not a surprise. If you're asking me for a surprise player, somebody who is not even considered a bubble player, somebody who's written in pen to be playing in Ontario on opening night, not in Los Angeles, Akil Thomas would be my pick. DB, do you happen to have one? Off the board? No, I concur. John, that's the one, that, uh, that was going to be the guy I would say. I agree with you. That, that's the guy. Because of his maturity, remember, talking to him, I'm like, this kid's ready. Mm-hmm. Like, ready to, to play with men and stuff like that. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that would be the guy. And you know what? If you want to go defensively, folks, I'll give you one other person. It's Cole Holtz. I don't expect it to happen because I think that the competition at D is already tight enough with Clegg and Bjornfoot fighting for that final spot. Uh, but if somebody was to surprise somehow, some way, it would be Cole Holtz, the defenseman who came out of Penn State and turned pro this year. And again, read all about him. We have the scouting reports on Mayor's Manor. If yep. you don't know who Cole Holtz is, go look him up on the prospect rankings. It's pretty easy to find on mayorsmanor.com. Uh, let's see. Next up, uh, very bold prediction for the draft. Rangers select Byfield, Kings trade. I'm just going to stop reading that. We've already covered that in previous <laughs> ones. Um, I mean, seriously, folks, listen to Kings of the podcast. Uh, we covered it in depth. Uh, do you think Brickley will ever play for the LA Kings? Do you see him playing elsewhere in the NHL? I would say yes. Uh, I see him playing somewhere else in the NHL. No, I do not see him ever playing a game for the LA Kings again. DB? Uh, I'll say two no's. Two no's. Okay, so uh, there you go. Um, what prospects are the next Michael Mersh, meaning players that are good but likely pushed out because of the depth in the system? Uh, well, Daniel Brickley would have been probably the name that came right. to mind that's most. Okay. Yeah, came right. to mind most. So that's interesting that those two questions came up back to back at this year's trade deadline. Do you see the LA Kings being buyers or sellers? And if sellers. Who is there left to sell? Uh, well, I don't see them being sellers, and I really don't see them being buyers. So I'm going to say nothing of consequence will happen at the trade deadline. If they were to get somebody or move somebody, DB, it would be um, 
secondary assets and it would be sort of bridge players one way or the other not something uh, for example this left-handed defenseman that they plan on signing um yeah, yeah. If, if the wheels fell off and they needed to move somebody they could potentially move him uh or something like that i don't think there'll be any significant move from la at the trade deadline do you differ at all db i only differ with a hypothetical if there are four points out of a DB, you spot, love hypotheticals <laughs> Well, yeah, if they're four points out of a playoff spot, yes, and and there's a winger who's a scorer uh-huh. who's available on a rental, they would make a trade. Oh, I, I, that's what I would do. But but, but I agree with you. I agree with you, DB. Okay. But to me, that's a yeah. secondary move. If you're getting a guy who's a rental, they're not making the big swing to go out and get no, no, to no. get somebody who's no. tied to a five year deal or whatever. No, are you going to add some veteran leadership instead of asking a kid to come up from Ontario to give you that playoff push? No, you're going to go out and you're going to get somebody. It's like a Jeff Halpern, Freddie Modine type deal. That's what I'm talking about. Is yeah, that you, you wouldn't take the big swing in season. No. You would take the big swing in some offseason. Yes. It would more likely be the uh, – look, if somebody falls, in, falls into your lap this season, you got to listen, right? It's, of course. It's silly not to if you can improve it. But I, I don't – the aggressiveness from the L.A. side wouldn't be there, I think, at this point. Okay, a few more here, DB, to wrap up the third period. Has the NHL laid out guidelines for development for the teams not in the bubble, and is there a schedule that's been put together, and when will it begin? No, unfortunately, it has not happened yet. I have been in constant contact um, with various teams uh, and and members of management and coaching uh, around the NHL to try to keep a feel for this, and nothing has really broken loose on this. We sort of alluded to that in the first period as well. The seven teams that are not uh, that did not get to participate in the return to play, they are eagerly awaiting some some definition from the NHL about when they can begin some of their their um, mini camps. Uh, let's see. Which player will the Kraken most likely take from the LA Kings? Austin Wagner. <laughs> uh, DB wanted to get in first on that one. Austin Wagner. I agree. Uh, I, I. That's just, I mean, come on. I don't think they're going to take uh, Jonathan Quick. Uh, people love to point to that. I just don't see that happening. Um, no. Will Boko re-sign? Uh, that's, okay. Earl Skakel. I, I, you know what? <laughs> DB, here's what's great. The minute I read Will Boko re-sign, I looked up to see who sent the tweet. And of, of course it was Earl Skakel. Now he'll listen. He'll <laughs> yes. keep tuning in. Because right. if we don't mention him in the first 10 minutes, he tunes out. We're going to have to go back and edit the first period to make sure that we mention <laughs> Earl in the first 10 minutes. Um, yes, Earl. They will re-sign Boko. That way that he can continue to come down to the comedy spot uh, at the comedy store and see you uh, doing your deal. Uh, let's see. Uh, what does it say? It's a ways out, but knowing that it's possible. Unrestricted free agents after the 21 season, who do you think that the Kings... Okay, guys, that's way too far. Come on. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I love the people that says, said, you've already answered all of our questions. These people yeah, need to... <laughs> these people need to read more and tweet less. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you to everybody truly appreciate it uh, uh db this has been fun episode q12 we are coming to you uh live from the peter ahola studios and remotely from beautiful encino db it's been uh, it's been a pleasure can't wait to do it again uh any parting thoughts yeah no it's still great to talk hockey in august with you john and uh look forward to the next one all right everybody have a great week
Virginia, William Hill, America's number one sports book, is now here. And we have a special 2021 offer to help you bet on all your favorite sports risk-free. Download the William Hill Sportsbook app, and when you sign up, you can get started with a risk-free bet of up to $2,021. Use promo code RADIORF. Terms and conditions apply. 21 plus only. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat our confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. Let's make it interesting with William Hill Sportsbook.